The Canadian painter and printmaker Philip Guston said, When you're in the studio painting, there are a lot of people in there with you. Your teachers, friends, painters from history, critics. And one by one, if you're really painting, they walk out. And if you're really painting, you walk out. In this episode, we're going to look at who might be with us when we're creating and go on a ghost hunt to understand what spirits live through our art and how all art is haunting. Welcome to Starling. I'm Amy Markham. Thank you for joining me here to connect with your creative practice. Now, I know I'm not alone in my passion for the season of fall. October is by far my favorite month of the year. I love everything about the season, from the beauty of the turning leaves and the cooler temperatures to a good ghost story by a fireplace on an autumn eve. I'm happy to use October as my excuse to consider what could be lurking in the shadows, like the ones we discussed in the last episode. And not that I feel like I need an excuse, but I'm using the fact that it's October to get a little ghostly and discuss the haunting power of art. I mean, if you really think about it, all art is haunted. Even if the artist who made it is still alive, creative people pour their energy and ideas into the creation of their art, and when it's done, a part of them inhabits that work. Art houses the residual energy of people who created it. It's the spirit of the idea or the motivation behind the work made manifest in the physical. Ghosts of the world's greatest artists can speak to us from the images that hang on museum walls or through books and poems or move us through music. Now, I doubt that most people would consider a trip to an art museum to be anything like visiting a haunted house, But there are works of art that have been making art lovers and museum goers consider the energy that might linger within a work of art for a long time. There are some paintings that are considered haunted, and it really isn't all that surprising. I mean, if we can think that dolls can be haunted or houses can be haunted, why not a work of art? The expressionist painter Edvard Munch is known for his paintings that depict his personal relationships with life and death, loss, loneliness, and even terror. Through his use of color, somber tones, exaggerated forms, and contrasting lines, Munch created art that depicts some of the darker human experiences. The psychologist Sigmund Freud was a contemporary of Edvard Munch, and he believed that much of our human behavior and life focus comes from childhood experience. And Edvard Munch's childhood experience wasn't exactly sunshine and puppy dogs. Of his own upbringing, he said, and I quote, sickness, madness, and death were the black angels that watched over my cradle. Growing up in an abusive home with a father who was a religious fanatic and with tragic experiences that started at a young age, this probably contributed to the imagery that Monk focused on with his work. At the age of five, he was witness to his mother dying of tuberculosis, and then at 14, the disease took his sister away. It also took away his grandmother and his aunt. These experiences obviously led to the grim and melancholy subject that we see in his paintings, 
with titles like The Deathbed, Death in the Sick Room, and The Sick Child. His most well-known painting is titled The Scream. The image, which is one of the most famous from modern art history, depicts a figure in agony clutching his face and covering his ears as a terrifying scream ripples through the landscape, causing it to swirl all around him. This figure has become an iconic image that's broken free of the boundaries of this painting. It appears in everything from advertisements to Halloween costumes. But it is his painting titled The Dead Mother that is actually said to be haunted. In this painting, we see a young girl looking straight out of the painting and at the viewer directly with wide eyes that seem to express disbelief at what she's experiencing. Her back is turned to a bed in which lies her dead mother. And the pose, much like the figure of the scream, has the little girl with her hands covering her ears as if to block out what is happening and to deny the experience altogether. Former owners of this painting say that the little girl's eyes will follow you wherever you go and that the bed sheets of the dead mother would rustle or appear to move and that on rare occasions the little girl would actually leave the painting. Her apparition appeared throughout the house, frightening the owners enough for them to sell the painting. This famous piece is now housed in Germany at the Kunsthalle. Of course, there are plenty of other paintings that have given viewers the chills or even ghostly experiences, and stories abound about apparitions and strange occurrences in museums across the world. For some unknown reason, the Cleveland Museum of Art in Ohio is one of the most haunted museums in the United States. Workers and visitors to the museum have reported seeing the ghost of a young boy running through the paintings in the west wing of the museum. He's said to be dressed in the same clothing as a boy from a painting that's in that area. And there is what they call the gray man, who has been seen standing in front of his own portrait and then appearing to vanish into it. Not to mention that the ghost of Monet is said to have made an appearance there at the Cleveland Museum of Art. A worker even got a picture of it. An exhibit that included some of Monet's work was being installed when they looked up to the balcony to see a man or perhaps it was just an apparition that looked a lot like Monet, with his trademark beard in a gray suit. Many people think that this was probably just Monet's spirit showing up to make sure his work was hung properly. I bet if you ask anyone who's worked in a museum and spent time alone with artwork that inhabits those buildings, that many of them would have stories to tell you, ghostly experiences perhaps, about breath on the back of their neck or whispers in their ear, strange sounds that they can't tell where they're coming from. In the newsletter for this week's show notes, I'm going to make sure that I add links to several accounts of experiences that workers have explained that happened in museums. I figure this might be of interest to some of you, and if you're curious about those sort of things, I'll make sure that there are links and videos for you to explore this idea. When we walk through museums, to see creative spirits of those who came before us on display, through their work, part of them is living on to inspire and impart to the living traces of their time here and how they saw it, how they felt it, how they expressed it. Musicians and writers, filmmakers and painters, really all artists, leave a body of work that remains long after their physical presence has passed on. Through their art, we can gain some sense of them, who they were, and what they wanted to express or share with us. 
And in some ways, we can have our own dialogue with them through what's been left behind. Their stories will still speak to us, their music still moves us, and their imagery still draws us in. Strangely, no one really talks about how they're hearing the voices of the dead when they listen to the likes of Billie Holiday, Johnny Cash, or Kurt Cobain. No one ever admits to being creeped out when they read books by authors like Charles Dickens or Jane Austen. Does anyone really consider that when they're walking through an art museum, they're surrounded by the residual imagery of artists who are long gone, yet their spirits are still interacting with us through the paintings on the wall? The movements of their hands are still visible in their brushstrokes. A few summers ago, I was lucky enough to get to go to Italy on a family trip and was able to see many of the great works of Western art. There's so much art history there, alive, all around you. And I had an experience that wasn't so much ghostly as it was spiritual. While I was in Florence, I got an early morning ticket to go into the Galleria dell'Accademia to go see Michelangelo's David. And I'm going to be really honest with you, the Renaissance is not my favorite period in art history, really at all. I mean, I appreciate it and I understand the importance, but it's not my favorite thing. So I wasn't expecting what happened when I saw David in person. You're in the museum, and then you take a turn, and at the end of a long corridor, there he stands. And I cried. (laughs) Tears poured out of my eyes. I felt overwhelmed at the sight of him. The idea that this marble figure carved in early 1500s could grab me the way that it did had never crossed my mind. I mean, I had expected to be impressed and grateful for the chance to see it. I had not expected to be filled with so much emotion and unable to find words to explain my reaction. It was haunting. It was chilling, and not in a scary way, but in a, oh my, look what can be accomplished, look what art is capable of sort of way. And I stood there trying to keep my tears to myself, taking in the masterpiece And I realized that not only was Michelangelo very much present in that work, but that the art that he had created was basically keeping him alive. He and all artists live on through their creations. Now, not all of us will be able to create something as stunning and breathtaking and emotionally arresting as David, but... We're all leaving part of ourselves behind in the work that we create. Our artwork will one day be our legacy, a way that we can continue to speak to future generations even after we're gone. And it doesn't really matter if the audience of those future generations is widespread and you become as famous as Van Gogh, or whether it's just to speak to our family in the future. Because it's important that we're leaving a part of us that will continue conversations that we find important. You know, some artists do gain bigger audiences in death than they ever had in life. The writings of Henry David Thoreau gave him some moderate success when he was alive, but mainly he earned his living from working in a pencil factory, with a few essays published here and there. But he never really made money from being a writer during his lifetime. It wasn't until three decades after his death that Henry Stephen Salt wrote a biography of Thoreau that made him widely known and appreciated. So appreciated, in fact, that great leaders like John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., and Gandhi were influenced by his ideas. 
Similar thing happened to Herman Melville, who had had a little success early on in his life as a writer, but then was pretty much dismissed after his second novel kind of tanked. So he ended up a customs inspector for a living. It was after his death, when a biography was written about him, that Moby Dick began to be noticed. And it's now considered a literary masterpiece. Emily Dickinson was barely even published when she was alive, and yet she's considered one of the most respected poets in the history of American literature, all because her sister did not follow Emily's wishes. When she died, she'd asked that all of her work be burned. But luckily for poetry lovers everywhere, that wish was not fulfilled, and we can all appreciate her words. And Van Gogh, we all know, became famous after his death, He was never appreciated while he was alive and only sold one painting, yet his artwork is now worth millions. Hilma of Klimt actually specified that her work was not to be shown for at least 20 years after her death. She knew the world wouldn't be ready for the visions that she'd been having. We even have a a cat named after a dead musician, Nick Drake. He died in 1974 after never really finding an audience in his lifetime, but has been steadily gaining posthumous popularity ever since. Sometimes an artist lives out of time, anyway. Creative visionaries are often ahead of the mindset of the masses. Their work can't be appreciated with where thought is during their lifetime, so it isn't until after their death that their work is appreciated and understood. I know many of my influences speak to me from their graves, from musicians and artists to philosophers and academics, which makes me reconsider this whole idea of what a ghost is and what it means to be haunted. I don't feel afraid or scared about the fact that I love to listen to lectures by Joseph Campbell, who died when I was a child, and the hair on the back of my neck doesn't raise when I admire the work of Marc Chagall or read the words of Carl Jung. One of the things I want us to think about here is the long line of influence and how ghosts speak through us in all that we create. In the quote I started the show with by the artist Philip Guston, he talked about when we're in the studio, when we're creating, we're not alone. In there with us are all of our teachers, our friends, our family, painters we admire, artists that we respect, philosophers whose ideas we've internalized and voices that have shaped our mindset. As we create, those ghosts and spirits are there with us, moving through us, through our process, guiding us in it. How many of you listen to music while you work, or maybe an audiobook? And have you thought about how that shapes your process or influences your artistic output? We are all haunted, and we will all eventually be haunting others in so many ways. You see, We are just a filter that all the voices go through, all the ideas, the art, the imagery, everything that has ever been before must be filtered through us. And eventually, our voice must be filtered through others. So have you thought about it? Which ghosts are haunting the work that you make? Are you willing to acknowledge that there are ghostly influences of the living and the dead, that come through your creative practice and voices that haunt your work? Have you considered how your work might influence others? What will it say when you can't speak about it? So my grandmother on my father's side of the family was an artist. She was a painter. 
although for most of my childhood before she passed away, she was confined to a bed. I never really got to know her. I never saw her paint or got to learn from her about her process or ask her anything about why she wanted to be an artist. I do have a few of her paintings, and they're in my art studio. Actually, they're right behind me right now. One of them is of pansies. It's just a small painting. Another one is a little black bucket that she painted with flowers. And one is a portrait of my father, and that's the most important one. She um, must have looked at his senior picture and recreated that image in oil paints. When I look at that painting, I have two things to consider. Two ghosts, actually. My grandmother, the one I never really felt like I knew, and my dad. I can see that she painted his portrait with motherly love. And in that painting, I can see the face of my father. But it's a face that I never got to know, because it was from a time before I was born. Their blood flows through me, and they're always here with me, even though they're no longer physically present. And when I create in my studio, they're right here with me. And in some ways, they're with me more now than they ever were before. Knowing that makes me think about how one day I will always be with my sons in whatever way they decide to filter our relationship into their lives. I may be with friends and family and students, too, in whichever way they allow my voice to be with them. And I don't feel like a ghost, but I know I will be haunting this place long after I'm gone, through my words and my images and the feelings that I've given other people which makes me very aware of how I'm interacting and what I'm saying. So, sure, it's October, and ghost stories abound, darkness surrounds, and I love being a little scared and considering what happens when we cast off this mortal coil. But in this season, it's also a good reminder to consider our influences and who the ghosts are that inhabit our creations, what they've had to say to us, and what they're still trying to speak through us. Also, what we want others to carry with them about us and our work when we're not here. Is our artwork sharing what we find important to impart to future generations? Okay, so let's think about some suggested practices for this week around the idea of ghosts and hauntings. First, Let's do a little introspection around that idea of ghostly influences that possess our work. When you look at what you've created, can you see or hear the voices of those who have influenced you? Did you mean for that to happen? Were you aware that it was happening? Then maybe we should create something to honor those who've come before. What can you do as a way to honor the lessons that you've learned from others? It could be anything from a portrait to a poem. Maybe a mixed media piece that could start with thank you letters you write to those who've influenced you and the way you live and your creative practice. Think about your own artistic legacy. And if you're communicating what you mean to, I think this one's very important to us as often we can become an echo of what we're around and not what wants to move through us. Don't let the fact that the work that you're doing may not be the current aesthetic stop you from making it. As your artwork may not be meant for this time, it could be meant for future generations. And personally, I know I'm kind of banking on that. <laughs> uh, then practice getting out of your own way. 
In that quote from Philip Guston that I mentioned, he says at the end of it, if you're really painting, you walk out. So walk out. We get in our own way a lot, and we don't let art itself speak through us. And I know that sounds weird. But if we can consciously let go and allow the art to be made through us, not by us, then something transcendent happens. So suspend judgment. Leave all those motivations to the side and see what ghosts appear in your process. Visit a museum sometime soon and see if any of those artists speak to you from the beyond. Stand in front of a work of art and let it communicate with you. Don't judge it or look at it as an object. Look at it as communication. What can you hear? What can you see? What does it say? Play music by musicians that are no longer in our dimension. Read poetry by poets who've passed. Take in art of the dearly departed and try to let it speak to you differently than you have before. Allow it to be experienced. Check your emotional response. There could be things you've missed before. Maybe write a scary story or draw some ghost. Illustrate an experience you've had that may be unexplained. Do you remember what it was like to be scared as a child? What that really felt like? Let yourself have that very human experience of being scared, being afraid. And then see how you can communicate that. Sit there with that feeling and then create something from it. The more we get in touch with our own creative spirit, the easier it is to notice all the ghosts around us and in the creative spirit of others, both living and dead. This is the time of year that begs us to notice this aspect of living. We all live with ghosts in more than the spooky ways of the Halloween season. Let your creative process be aware of those ghosts, to know them, and to be unafraid when they begin to show up in your artwork. I recently told a few of my own ghost stories on the podcast Homespun Haints. You see, when I was in college, I lived at a gatekeeper's house in a cemetery. Uh, I went to college at Virginia Commonwealth University. It's in Richmond. And a couple of blocks away is Hollywood Cemetery. And I was lucky enough to live in the top floor of an old gatekeeper's house. So I told a few stories about my time and my experiences there. If you're interested in hearing those stories, I'm going to put a link in my show notes in the newsletter this week so that you can hear those stories if you're curious. I really enjoyed talking with Becky and Diana on their show, and it's a really good listen if you're looking for more ghost stories. I want to thank you for joining me here to be part of this conversation about the ghostly aspect of art and how it haunts us and how art has that residual energy of the artist and all the influences that come through that artist when they're creating their work. Make sure to check the link in the show notes this week to see this week's newsletter. I'll make sure to include links to ghost stories and haunted museums, all the artists I've talked about, anything else that, you know, I think might be interesting. I'll probably put a picture in of the cemetery house I used to live in, maybe some of the paintings of my grandmother that I mentioned. I hope you'll also maybe share Starling this week with someone that you know is developing their own creative practice. I'm still really hoping to grow the online community, so join me on my Facebook group. Um, You can just go to the Starling Creative Living page and then ask to join the group Exploring Creatively. Follow me on Instagram at the Starling Creative or Twitter at Art Teacher Amy. I would really love to hear some of your ghost stories 
especially any related to art or um, ghostly experiences with haunted paintings and the like. I'd also love to see any work that you make when you're able to get out of your own way and let art come through you. On a side note, there won't be a show next week because I'm going to my very first podcast conference in Atlanta with She Podcast Live. I'm very excited and a little bit nervous, um, but I'm looking forward to meeting other people who are passionate enough about their own passions to use their voice to support it. So thanks again for listening in to my ghostly little haunted art podcast today. And as always, enjoy your process.